first time I have ever used technology to preach. Seriously, I always have papers, so, man, if I mess up, if the battery goes dead, I'm toast. Speaking of toast, man, let's give it up for the guys who fix breakfast. Those guys are awesome. I'm kind of think, thinking I might just come here once a month just to have that breakfast, man. I'm not kidding. Nor do you guys, like, flock. I was afraid I was going to get mobbed. When it was time to eat, like, watch out, here they come. So you guys do a great job. I appreciate it because I know it's a lot of work, not just fixing it but cleaning it up. Why don't you, I know you probably, I know you don't want it, but stand up if you guys help with the breakfast today. Would you please? Just so we can say thank you. All the guys who helped out. This is a, that's a well-oiled machine. I told Tim, I said, man, you got a great crew of guys here. And uh, I, I appreciate it as somebody who's in position of leadership. Uh, this is a very, I mean, one of, the, one of the best men's ministries that I'm familiar with. It really is. Uh, you guys come here every month. And what's happening behind the scenes is more important or as important as what's happening here at the breakfast uh, <clears throat> that is getting in relationships. Uh, last night, uh, Tim and I were hanging out, and, you know, he's right. We did talk about that we're getting a little older. I, I refuse to say old, but, yeah, we everybody's getting a little older. Uh, my wife and I were talking about it the other day, and uh, I'm in denial about it. Like, I'm okay, man. I'm just, I can still do what I did when I was 18. Don't question that, all right? I still try to do that stuff, and uh, I could tell several stories about, like, I'm going to write a book someday. It seemed like a good idea at the time, you know. But anyway, I thought, you know, I thought I was pretty young, and then a conversation at our church came up about how old the lake is that we live on. I'm thinking it's probably built in, like, the 30s or 40s. I'm older than that doggone lake is. Now I'm starting to feel old, all right? Uh, But last night as we were talking about getting older, I think more important than that, to be honest, Tim and I were talking about as you get older, you realize what really is important and what's not. And the most important thing as I've gotten older is relationships, a lot of a lot of us doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your title. It doesn't matter how much money or you make or the house you live in. It, none of that matters. It's my kids. It's my grandkids. It's my wife. It's all of those. It's my friends. And I, Tim and I go way back. And I said, you know, you are all, Tim. You're all about relationships. And my friendships mean so much to me as I've gotten older. Now let me bring this home to you guys. Uh, you mean something to me, even though I really only recognize your, by face, a lot of you, but I think it was probably maybe four years ago that Tim invited me to speak, and I really just come out of a very broken time in my life. Uh, if, if you, you know, if you weren't there, you, you might not remember, and I'll talk a little bit about that, but first of all, I'm, it's a little hot in here, so I'm going to I'm going to make myself at home and take my jacket off and get comfortable. How many of you uh, saw the uh, picture online of me and my bike? You saw my, you saw my bike, my Road King Classic. Hey, by the way, Tim, 
what was that you what was that you posted uh, online about me with my bike? What would you say? No, you said I was a. That's not what he put. He what'd you say? You said a man's. Come on, say it, please. A man. What? Well, say that again a little louder. Yeah, that's what he said about me. Say one again. I, I, one more time. Yeah, I love that. I love making him say it. It's what I really like doing. He's a man's man. You guys like my bike too, right? I wore my I wore my jacket because that jacket because my my real Harley jacket. It's pretty heavy to bring to Florida. I got one. I mean, it's a nice, nice jacket. Uh, actually, the jacket I have was given to me. And the bike that I had, how many of you saw my picture? It's actually, I don't own that bike, to be honest. <laughs> I just borrowed it for that picture. Oh, my tattoos, too. <laughs> Yeah, they're not real either, but they look kind of good, don't they? Did I fool anybody with these? Did I? Come on. You're like, man, that guy's, those are nice tats. <laughs> uh, I'm a poser, all right? I'm a wannabe. <laughs> anybody else understand what I'm saying there? Yeah. All right, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, that wasn't my bike. I do ride. I do have my endorsement. I do love Harleys. I've got zero tattoos on me, to be honest. And I do have a Harley, nice Harley jacket. But I am a complete, total fraud if, for a biker. Now, the reason I like that is because I absolutely hate the stereotype of pastors. I mean, do we have any law enforcement in here? Any, any police? Do you hate the stereotype that all cops eat donuts? Thank you. Okay, so we hate. The, I hate the same thing that all all pastors don't. You know, they're not men, men's men. And while we're talking about that, I don't, Kurt's not here, is he? Well, good because I started a vicious, nasty rumor about Kurt that he has a drug addiction problem because my wife and I would like to move down here and take his job. So if you hear it, it's it. It came straight from us. Okay. But we still would like to move down here if something opens up. Anyway, so, so let me tell you my story. But I'm going to start backward. I am right now happily married, very happily married. We've been married a little over three years. I'm a father. My kids are doing well, but it hasn't always been that way. I had a really, really tough time for a while. I am now a grandpa because I'm married into that. I have a seven-year-old. I am a pastor at a little church on the lake. Four years ago, I went through a divorce. I was living with my parents. It was a very humbling time in my life. Sold cars for a while. Substitute teacher for a while. I was a hospice chaplain for a while. Probably the worst hospice chaplain in the history of hospice chaplains. Because on a death call, the family is gathered around the loved one, and my, some of the staff was there, and my ringtone on my phone went off just as I was bowing. We were bowing to pray for the deceased, and my ringtone was born to be wild. 
Couldn't have been more inappropriate. And you tell, I mean, I got looks like you are the worst chaplain in the world. So six years prior to that, I was the pastor of a church probably about this size out in the Washington, D.C. area. And I was living a complete lie. What was the lie? A very broken marriage. I stood in the pulpit every week. I actually did series of series, you know, on marriage, on family. No one, absolutely no one knew how broken my marriage was except my now ex-wife and my sons. There's a symbol of that season of 30-plus years in my life that I think back now. There's a symbol, and it was a recliner. How many of you guys have your, your recliner? I'm going to take these off, by the way. They're kind of hot. Uh, how, how many of you have a, your recliner? That is your recliner, right? I mean, you know, somebody else can sit in it, but when you walk in, they better get out of it. You know what I'm saying? That's your that's your recliner. That's where the king sits. That's his throne. That's his throne in his castle. Well, we had a recliner, and I remember going with my former wife, and we were picking out chairs, and I said, that's my chair. What do you want? She picked out another chair, and guess who took over? My recliner. She did. And guess who led her? I did. Now, I'm going to sanitize this a little bit because Tim said some of these things, I mean, this will be, I guess, on the internet, and I know I'm in church, so I'm going to sanitize this. If otherwise, I would be like, I would just say it the way it is. But my oldest son told me one day, he goes, Dad, you need to grow some. I'll let you fill in the blanks. Dad, you need to grow some. So that, that recliner became for me a symbol that I need to grow some. And I would say, you know, sweetie, if you want to buy a recliner for you, we can. Oh, no, that's okay. Do you want this back? Well, yeah, I do. Do I really need to tell you? Get out of my recliner. Now, here's the point, guys. I lived a secret life, one where I portrayed myself as a leader in public, but where inwardly I had a lot of self-doubts, and I knew in my heart of hearts she wore the pants. It started that way. And it ended that way. Now, I may be the only guy in this, in this room that felt that way or feels that way. I, I doubt it. I think there are some of you who may also be struggling with some of those questions and some of those feelings. But I'm telling you, right now, there are, in my opinion, a lot of men in America that struggle with this whole issue of what it means to be a leader in their home, what it looks like to lead their wives and their kids, and what I would call the neutering of the American male. And it's gotten worse. My dad was a man's man. Now, he may have had his insecurities. He may not have ever admitted those to me but, or anyone else. He may have secretly questioned what it really looked like to lead because he grew up in a very dysfunctional home. But he would walk into our house after he got off work, say to my mom, where's my dinner? Now, a lot of women today would go, fix it yourself, dude. But my dad got by with that. I ran into a guy in the mo- our motel yesterday. He had a braid, a braid clear down to here. I was like, dude, that is pretty awesome. 
He goes, my, my dad didn't think my long hair was awesome when I was a kid growing up. He was Pentecostal. He used to always just ride me about that hair. My hair, he, he said, if I can get a hold of it, it's too long. And I said, he said, one day, I, I said, well, Daddy, he grew up in Louisiana. He said, Daddy, he said, there's a picture of a guy hanging on our wall, and he's got hair down to his shoulders and a long beard. He's talking about Jesus. He said, he knocked me clear across the room for that. Now, I'm not an advocate of that, but I'm saying that's back when dads were dads. You understand what I'm saying? I had a little meeting with a couple from our church recently, and she sat and berated me, our church, everything I was doing, and her husband for an entire hour. And at the end of it, I said, if you're done now, I'd like to say something. First of all, you got a lot of issues with submission and respect. And second of all, I looked at her husband, and I said, and I didn't sanitize it then, you need to grow some. wonder I didn't get in trouble over that one. wasn't the most pastoral things I've ever said. The neutering of the American male, you can see it on television, can't you? I mean, you remember when Andy Griffith was, he's like the hero. He, he's like the source of wisdom. You know, Opie would always come, always had the answer, and the dad off of Lassie, he was, the, he, was the, he was a wise guy, always fixed problems and leave it to Beaver. That's the picture of the American male in the 50s and, and early 60s. Now we got Tim Taylor, Homer Simpson, Ray Barone. They, we have become the only person on the face of the planet it's okay to make fun of is the American male. You understand what I'm saying? So, maybe you have a secret. And that secret is, you really have no idea what it looks like to lead your family. Maybe you feel like your wife wears the pants in your family. Maybe, and I can't remember the face, so it doesn't matter, but I remember last one of the first the first time I spoke here, one of the men of this church coming up and saying, "I haven't had sex with my wife in like two years." Now, now here's the problem, and I see this happening in churches. Christian women know he's never going to divorce them, so she holds him hostage, and he's incredibly frustrated. I see women and hear men all the time going, "I don't know what to do." I don't know what to do about this because she withholds it and he's frustrated. He can't, the more frustrated he gets, the more she pushes him away. I see this dog chasing its tail. I lived it, folks. Guys, I went 30 years without a hug or a kiss, and I'm a very affectionate man. I was incredibly frustrated. So maybe in this room, there's a secret. Husbands, fathers feeling disrespected. My wife, ex-wife, I should say, when I found out I had prostate cancer, I struggled with it. I was having a hard time. It was prostate cancer. I didn't know how it was going to affect me, my masculine. I didn't know if I was going to. You know what I'm saying? And she, she started calling me cancer boy. That bothered my oldest son a lot. It should have bothered me. I thought it was normal. I just blew it off like it's okay to make fun of me. 
It was okay at that time. And men, we can, we can become so helpless and hopeless and frustrated. And trust me, we become like a ticking time bomb. It's really been a problem since the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. I think we've got the verse on the screen. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now, it wasn't our fault, right? Two things a man cannot resist, a naked woman and food. And she's standing there holding this, na- this food, and she's naked, and she goes, here, try some. Of course I will, you know. So she eats it. He eats it. They both eat it. You know, their eyes are opened. But here's the part that gets interesting. You remember the curse, Genesis 3.16? To the woman, God said, I will make your pain in childbirth bearing very severe with painful labor. You will give birth to children. Here's the part I never understood. Your desire will be for your husband. Do you want me? She wants me. You put that aftershave on at night, she wants me. She wants me. No, she, she doesn't want you. You want her. Uh, the truth is, in reality, far more often, you want her more than she wants you physically, correct? I don't know. Did I lose you guys somewhere? Is that right? I mean, most guys want her more than she wants them, right? Go raise your hand on that one. Most guys want her. Okay, thank you. I thought maybe I missed something here. But... Here's, here's what that translation really is saying. Your desire, Eve, your desire, wives, your desire, woman, your desire will be for control. This ain't very popular, folks. This is politically incorrect, and I know it, but I believe if you really study this, it's correct, it's correct interpretation. Your desire will be to control your husband, but he will rule over you. So the reality is it has been a battle since the beginning. Women have wanted to rule. Women have had that desire. I'm not saying all women, but I said you see this desire, but the reality is in culture, in the society, men do still rule over women. It's a part of her curse. She wants to control, but she's still looking for you to lead. You see it all through the Bible, Genesis 16, 1 through 5. Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. If you're 86 years old and your wife ever tells you to go have a baby with another woman, tell her no. Just say, I think that's a bad idea. Because later, it says, verse 9, Sarah, when she finds out Hagar is expecting, Sarah says to Abram, it's your fault. He's like, no, no, you told me to do it. You're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms. Now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Always been a problem. Remember Adam and Eve were pointing fingers at each other in the garden. Now we got people pointing fingers again. You know why? Because God intended the man to be the spiritual leader of the home. Exodus 4.24, at a lodging place on the way, Lord, the Lord met Moses. Have you ever seen this? God is about to kill Moses. Do you know that? God is getting ready to kill Moses. Why? Because because Moses was more afraid of his wife than he was God. And if you read in this text, you see that 
that Moses refused to circumcise his son because he was born to a Gentile woman, wasn't a Jew, and she apparently refused to let the boy be circumcised. And so God was going to kill Moses. You're not leading your family, Moses. I told you to circumcise the child. And so the child is circumcised. The poor circumcises him. And then she, she says, surely our bridegroom of cut off the son's foreskin, touch Moses' feet with it, and said, surely your bridegroom of blood to me. You see, Moses had not led his family well. 1 Kings 1, or 11, 4, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and they led him astray. Uh-huh. Yeah. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. I would not want a 1,000 women to deal with, guys. No wonder Solomon had problems. Now, here's a couple you don't hear preached about much. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Now, we will preach, and we should, men, love your wives, because you're like, well, I can't make her submit. No, you cannot. But we need to talk more about this. And 1 Timothy 2.13, I do not permit a woman to teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. And we can go into a whole lot about this, guys, but we have tiptoed around this stuff too long. Here's what I believe to my core. Women are looking for men to lead them. They may resent it at first. They may resist it. But they're looking for leaders. So... Here's a question. How do I grow some? I, I just want to close and talk about that for a few minutes. I, I'm not here to beat you up, guys. I'm sharing with you, these are life lessons. These are things I wish when I was younger, somebody had shared with me. And I had put them into practice. I think I could have shared myself a whole lot of heartache. How do I grow some? Being a pleaser will never please her. That's my nature. It's my bent. It's probably yours too. You want to make her happy, right? You, you want her to be happy. But if she's not happy, you can't make her happy. Trust me. She's got to find her happiness in Christ. And the more you read and study the life of Jesus, there was nothing about Jesus that was a pleaser. He was here to please his father. And I'm telling you, it has taken me over 50 years to learn how to say one word. And it's the easiest word in the English language. It's the shortest word almost in the English language. It's taken me 50 years. I still struggle with it. It's just the simple word, no. I want to make excuses. I want to make reasons. I want to make, you know, just say no. Is that hard for you to do with your wife? Not your head if it is. Particularly if she wants you to have sex. No, sweetie, I'm sorry, not tonight. I just don't feel like it. That ain't going to happen, right? No. Being a pleaser will never please her. Sometimes it's healthy for you. I can, listen, I can tell you in over 30 years of marriage, or 30 years of marriage, my first marriage, I never once, ever once told her no. It's always whatever you want. Never once. 
One of our guys said, you know, I've heard, how, how do you get along in marriage? Well, I make all the big decisions. She makes all the little ones. So far, nothing big's come up. Well, sooner or later, something big comes up, guys. Sometimes, not just because you want to say no, but maybe you need to have an opinion. If it bothers you, say it. And that's where Ephesians comes in. Ephesians 4.15 says, speaking the truth in love, that's, it's important. We will grow up, grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. My wife right now, she's teaching me to be truthful. If this bothers you, say it. If you want to do it, tell me. If you don't want to do it, say so. Because it doesn't help either one of us if you're not honest. I'm learning to be honest, be truthful. Here's the second thing. Gain confidence through the word. You've got to know who you are in Christ first. I don't care if, I, if you're single, if you're married. You have to know who you are. And that's where doctrine comes in. It's knowing who God is. It's knowing who you are. And the more I study the person of Jesus Christ, the more I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, it would be like some, he's talking to religious leaders, and he says, you know, if you really knew the Scriptures, that's like saying to your seminary professors, if you just read your Bible, he was so in your face at times. So reading, reading your word, reading the word and doctrine and knowing who you are in Christ gives you confidence to stand up, to be bold, to be courageous. I don't mean obnoxious. I don't mean to be an, I can't even say the word. I mean to be, to be bold in Christ. Gain confidence through the word. I want to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm telling you guys, just begin with a simple thing too. Say, you know, sweetie, Every morning, I'm going to begin my time with God in prayer and in the Word. Now, if you, if, if you don't want to join, that's fine. But if she joins you, then guess what? You just became the spiritual leader in that part of your relationship. Gain confidence. His Word's the only place you're going to find it. It's not going to be standing in the mirror going, I am the man. It's going to be through His Word. Here's three. If you don't know what a leader looks like, find one and follow them. There's two kinds of men in this room today. There's only two. There's guys who know who they are in Christ. They're confident. They know there's not that, that baggage, that insecurity. And you're sitting there going, I already know all this. God bless you. Now, you got a mission, and that is to help guys who don't know yet what it looks like to be a spiritual leader, a shepherd, a father. They have no clue. I've had guys who have told me, like, I don't know what it looks like to be a father. I need help. That's where relationships and mentoring come in, and that's why it's so incredibly important. Find a guy. Don't be, don't be bashful. Don't be shy. Don't just go and say, listen, I respect you. I, I'd like to hang out with you. Help me with this. Here's a fourth thing, how you can grow some. Stop being lazy. Leadership takes work. If you're going to become the spiritual leader of your home, it's going to take some effort on your part. Men are by nature lazy. That's why we have dishwashers today. Because men many years ago said, I'm going to stand here and wash these. Th- I'm going to create, I'm going to make a machine. Well, I'm going to f- we create, we invented almost everything. That's why I tell people, women get offended, but like men invented these things not because we're smart, it's because we're lazy. We'll spend more time inventing something to to do some work for us. Then, so by nature, we're look at it's male lions who lay there and let the women bring things to them. We are just by, 
by nature, we just want to watch ESP and eat pizza and have sex. That's who we are. That's just, we're just by nature lazy. We will let her. We will abdicate. Go ahead, sweetie, plan a vacation and do whatever, pay the bills. That's fine with me. That's not okay. You've got to take leadership. You have got to get involved. Here's another one. Command respect. Don't demand respect. You command respect by how you handle yourself. Don't put yourself down. Don't allow you, her or the kids to put you down. Command respect. Read a few books on leadership. The Bible, first and foremost, the person of Jesus. Watch Braveheart. You know, I mean, those are, I mean, seeing what kind of man is a man's man and model your life after it. Here's the last one. Take, take action. If you right now are, are frustrated, you're frustrated, you need to have an honest conversation if you're married with your wife. Have an honest conversation. For years, I asked my former wife if we could go to counseling, and she said, I don't need counseling. Now what I would do if I had it to do over again and what I started doing toward the end is saying, I do, so I'm going. Well, guess what? She wanted to tell her side of the story, so she started going. Go to counseling. Have an honest conversation. Get somebody that you feel like can help you. Obviously, you're going to pray about it. But, guys, there does come a point in your relationship that you have to say, what we're doing isn't working. I probably hate divorce more than any man in this room. But if I had it to do over again, I would have said many years before, I can't live like this. I will not. It's a lie. It's a farce. And if you refuse, we will have a biblical separation. Now, the role that I was in, I knew would probably end my ministry. Some of you may be wondering, what right does he have to give me marriage advice? None. I have none. But I've learned some lessons, guys. And I've learned from those lessons that if we're not, if, if you're not willing to take action to solve your problems, no one else is going to. Who do you think's going to? You can feel sorry for yourself. You can whine. You can moan. You can complain. You can tell your buddies how bad your marriage and your life is. Or you can say, I'm going to lead. And I promise you this. It may not end well. But if you don't lead your family, and if you don't make some changes, it won't. There's one thing I thank God for by his grace because I was a ticking time bomb. I will never forget one Christmas Eve. I'm getting ready. We're doing a mic check. And there was an absolutely drop-dead gorgeous woman who walked up to the platform as I was standing there. My former wife is right over here. She's lighting some candles. And this woman walked up and said, Pastor, I just want to let you know how much your, your messages have touched my heart. And um, I'm like, 
I was so incredibly vulnerable, guys. So vulnerable. I thank God I didn't fall into the enemy's traps. I thank God I didn't because that would have been pain upon pain upon pain. But I'm telling you, don't just keep insanity flipping that light switch on and off thinking things are going to be different. You got, you got to grow some. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these men. I thank you that um, you brought me here and the pain that I've been through and the mistakes I've made might be able to be used. I trust that you can and will. And uh, Lord, speak to them down deep in their hearts that there is hope. They can find in you the strength, the wisdom to be the kind of leaders that they want to be, you want them to be, by the power of Jesus' name. Amen.